Cryer Malt, supplying quality malt for quality local beer to ensure a grain of truth in every beer proudly presents Radio Brews News. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and on this 40 minutes of beery or possibly grainy truth, I'm joined by my good friend, colleague, and all-round good beer guy, Matt Kierkegaard. Matt, in 250 words or fewer, how are you? Matt, I'm pretty good. Good week. Beer's good. Uh, I'm sitting in a brewery, so uh, life is pretty good all round. And uh, by way of introduction, joining us on the panel today is a man who is, um, well, in part responsible for Matt's ability to tell the difference between bready malt character and ripe gooseberries and wet granite. He's a legend, he's a veteran, and he's a top bloke to boot from Slipstream Brewing Company. He's Ian Watson. G'day, Watto. Hey, Pete. How you going, mate? Good, mate. mate thanks for joining us and, uh, and sitting in for... Uh, James Atkinson, who is still floating around somewhere up towards uh, the top of the world in Japan. Uh, mate, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the people who are listening, I'm, I'm sure, will know Ian Watson uh, and your uh, fine work first at, at Murray's, more recently at um, Fortitude, producing Fortitude and Noisy Minor Beers. Uh, tell us a little bit about Slipstream. Mate, uh, Slipstream's a pretty young brewery, um, only been on the market for a few months now. Uh, based in your own pilly in Brisbane, uh, and producing hot forward beers is the is the mantra to the to the brewery. Uh, we do draft and and pack beer and have a cellar door here where people come and, and drink the beer on the on the weekends, and that's it in uh, 120 words or less, <laughs> or fewer. Um, oh. Now, Yering Pilly for those outside of the Queensland region, whereabouts are we? Okay, we're in we're in pretty well central Brisbane. Uh, we're on the south side of the city. Uh, about two train stops from uh, South Brisbane, South Bank area. Uh, so not that far out really from uh, from town. It always feels a little bit that way. We're right beside a, a very famous uh, stretch of, of Brisbane and anyone from South East Queensland that's uh, probably bought a car or had a friend that's bought a car at some stage in their life have been to the Magic Mile, uh, which is in Maruka. And we're sort of right on the border of uh, Maruka and you're on Billy and yeah, the Magic Mile is a very, very famous uh, stretch in, in southeast Queensland. Um, so that's that's where we are. You know, you can you can see the city from uh, from just up the road a little bit, or if you're extremely tall, which you'd be very, very tall. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, we're not we're not one, not too far out, and we're in a little bit of a hub over over here. You know, Ballistic Brewings in uh, Salisbury, which is only a couple of minutes drive away from here and then we've got uh, Helios Brewing uh, opening up very very shortly uh, they're only about 400 metres away from us if that uh, it's a little bit of a drive to get there around the railway tracks and so forth but they're they're very close uh, close by and they're, they're, they're good guys and they've got a great brewer on board and they're going to be making some great beer too so a little bit of a brewing hub that's building over here probably a little bit early to call it but uh, is it is it uh, South East Queensland's version of Marrickville or Brisbane's Marrickville uh, I think we're are there room? Are there room for seventy-two more breweries in the oh. next couple of years? Yeah, pro- probably. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, maybe not that much, but um, you know, <laughs> uh, it, it is an expanding area. And when you consider that it's not really that far to go over to, to some to where White Lies is, and which is just down the road too, we've got um, uh, Pump Yard Four Hearts. Um, you know, there's a little bit happening over here. I actually saw it. Uh, on a beer forum uh, a while back, someone whinging that all, uh, all the breweries were opening up on the south side of Brisbane and when was someone going to open on the north side? <laughs> like, oh, that's good. They're paying attention to what's happening in this part of town. That's nice. Um, so, yeah. Exactly. No, it, 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 it's, it's, it's all going well. Brisbane's um, a very dynamic beer scene, as, as you know, you're very much aware. Um, there's some great stuff coming out of this um, out of this region as the results of the IPA uh, confirmed too. You know, when you take into the 
New South Wales into consideration or champion breweries for from this um, from this region, if I'm remembering rightly. Um, we're certainly punching above our weight. Things have, uh, yeah, really lifted over the last couple of uh, last couple of years. That, that could all change with the roll of the dice too, and suddenly next year, you know, every brewery that wins a medal is only from Victoria or, or something like that. Uh, but you know, yeah, there's great beer coming out of out of uh, Queensland. Hey, what? Maybe just just before we get into the news of this week. Uh, harking back to the news of a couple of weeks ago where Jade Flavel from uh, The Weedy uh, made some really interesting observations on how she felt, uh, not that they got a leg up, but certainly they had uh, something of a, a home ground advantage by having the Craft Beer Awards uh, hosted in Adelaide. Uh, and their beers obviously having a, a better chance, I guess, of getting there in, in, in ideal conditions. Do you have any thoughts on that as far as... Um, uh, sending beers to awards or or having awards, you know, in your own backyard on a sort of rotating basis? Absolutely, mate. That's ideal. If it's, um, it's in the same town as you, you can get your beer just, you know, it's it's all those little tiny differences, you know. A really great beer or stand-up is a really great beer, you know, no matter what. But the less distance you've got you to send it, the less damage that, you know, and the less chances of damage that, that can come to it. You know, and hey, if, it, if the... Uh, awards were in the same town and you could drive it over there surrounded, you know, totally padded up and in ideal temperature conditions, you'd, you'd do that. You know, if you're sitting down, even if you send it by refrigerator transport, you're sitting on a truck, the thing vibrating the entire time uh, and that, you know, it's small changes, but yeah, that, that's why uh, that's why wine fridges run on a totally different format to a regular fridge. They're not a, a regular fridge that's just had the temperature change to be in a, a, a range that's suitable for storing wine or beer long term. It's also to have a lot less vibration to them as, as well. So any little thing can certainly um, can certainly help. Um, and yeah, the sooner you can get it there, you know, the less time you've got to... If you're going to send beer to, say, Adelaide from Queensland or, or to Queensland from Western Australia or whatever, you've got to program in a little bit more time for it to get there. And uh, A, because it does take a little bit more time to get there, but B, too, because in case of breakdown or something like that, you've got to really have a little bit more up your sleeve, so your beer's probably just that little bit little bit older. And, you know, if it's a Russian Imperial Stout, well, hey, an extra six days on it's not going to kill a, uh, a beer that's probably 12 months old anyway, maybe. But if you're trying to get your, your lovely little hoppy pale ale there, every day is, um, every day is sacred. Um, but ultimately, a good beer will still stand up now. Yeah, I'm not convinced that there's, uh, I guess, an ideal um, happy medium. Uh, obviously, in the ideal world, you would have, uh, rather than all, you know, uh, 42 or I think we might have had, yeah, 42 or, or 50 judges uh, this year at the Australian International Beer Awards down in Melbourne, instead of bringing, you know, 42 uh, judges down here, maybe you'd send them uh, each to an individual state. And uh, But then, of course, they know that they're only tasting beers from that state. So perhaps you've... Uh, you know, you've got issues of, of anonymity creeping into it there. Maybe well, if we had really indeed. strong, um, uh, you know, local, you know, the Royal Sydney, uh, if, if the Brisbane uh, awards got up and that sort of thing, and maybe, you know, you've, you vote on them there and then they all just sort of, you know, the, the best of the best go into a, uh, I guess, a playoff. I don't, I don't know. Well, one thing I was speaking to with um, one of the committee members from the, uh, uh, the Independent Brewers Association recently was maybe we need a different stream um, awards where it's not a one event per year but maybe three or four uh, events per year and that's rotated it's in a different region each time you know um, uh, this month it's in Sydney in three months time it's in Brisbane three months after that it's in Adelaide Perth whatever 
and there is only a small number of categories that's judged at that section there. So it might be pale ales and IPAs, and you assemble a panel of, of judges that specialise in those styles and that are very good and know those styles there. And uh, so that way, then you're you're moving, you're changing around your shipment for each of those areas there. So you know, which it's like really that distance travelling is not the end of the world. But I guess at the end of the day, the question is what purpose are the awards serving? Because that you know, if you're really trying to put robust integrity and perfection around an awards, doing something like that. But how many brewers are going to go to the effort to send their beers to three or four different um, well, regions in a year just to get that little bit of uh, bling? That, that, that's, that's very, very true. But to, for me, and actually this is sort of going in sidestep a bit too, my thought at the time and, and how it come up was with regards to feedback was their commentary to me about how much feedback you get um, from beer awards. And I made the point that, look, we're all grown-ups. We're big boys and big girls mm. that are making beer. Um, we don't need an essay on our, our beer back. A few words should let us know that, okay, this panel know what they're talking about. I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of brewers complaining about the, uh, you know, the, the feedback and some very hurt feelings. Uh, or or the, the, the great misunderstood artist is the other one that you, uh, yeah, you, you often you get. get that too. <laughs> look, we've all had those hurt feelings where we've thrown a beer in that we thought was, you know... Uh, decent and it's come back and got it there but if you're, you're really truthful with yourself you can really look at that beer and go you know what yeah they're they're right and nine times out of ten when you're sending it in you 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 actually know any deficiencies that you feel that beer may have yep. anyway and you're just kind of hoping that maybe they don't realize this is, a, <laughs> this is a month older than it should be but look if that's the case you just shouldn't be sending that beer in in in, in any way but it was more about a a, a type of results where where if yeah We've got some hurt feelings of people really want to know their, their absolute details of the beer. Send it to a panel that specialise in that and are only going to deal with that style of beer or that, or that feel of beer on that day there. Well, in, in America, there's the um, the World Beer Awards. Not many brewers, uh, Australian brewers, I know that Burley regularly sends their beer and they talk about it, you know, having their beer independently assessed and it's, you know, we'll say they trumpet the gold medals, it seems to be about having a consistent uh, approach because they do have a small panel and certain styles are open um, for judging. Um, but, you know, I, I come back uh, about sending beers around the world. I remember getting a media release about five or six years ago, Prof, and uh, saying that Feral had won the, the best beer in a Singaporean or an Asian beer competition. I phoned Brendan to get some quotes and get his reaction and he said, really? I didn't. I, I, I didn't even enter, and it turned out that he'd shipped some beer the distributor? to a distributor on spec. You know, the, the distributor wanted to sort of do it, and the distributor had entered it, and Brendan knew nothing about it. And the, the beer had been sent some time before, and we're talking about feral hop hog, so it was a beer that had a fairly uh, big hop character, and so he, he was sort of saying, "Look, it must be well below its best. I'm pretty chuffed that it won." And uh, the, the point that he made was it probably wasn't a bad award for anybody who's looking to, to enter for anyone who's looking because all of the beers that were judged had had to travel roughly the same business whether it was from Perth or America or England the beers that were being judged had been through roughly the same um, you know conditioning um, because of the distance that they'd gone so he had, so he'd, he was willing to take it but he was still saying well it's, it's nowhere near the best yeah but again and that's what jade was talking about and uh what ian confirmed that it's that we're looking as much as we can for a level playing field and perhaps it's a case of we say okay whoever the home state is maybe their beer has to be sent via another state uh 
so that at least everyone's beers have travelled. <laughs> maybe we're so too much into it too, you know, and it all depends on what we want back from the wards. If you're wanting technical feedback on your beer, there probably is another system to it. Um, it's to me, they're more about confirmation um, and you know about 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 having some fun and giving you know being able to give yourself a pat on the back and go hell yeah, you know I got a, a gold medal that's awesome, you know, or I got a Got a bronze medal? Yeah, I need to put some effort into this, into this, into this beer. Um, it it really is down to what we're what we're wanting, uh, what what we're yeah. wanting from an from an awards um, as sure. to how that approach should be. And you know, um, I think you're right, Pete. If we if we really want it fair, you know, let's make it that every um, we work out the furthest distance that an entry's come, and every beer has to go, <laughs> to go there. <laughs> like, yeah. So if you know the equivalent distance, distance. yeah. Maybe, maybe we just drive them around the car park, you know, and <laughs> enough times until we get you know 480 kilometres or whatever. Yeah, perhaps that's not quite as. Um... I, I look, the other thing too, uh, just on what you were saying there, Watto, is that um, I think too, awards have a, a great uh, value in. Being able to, I guess, both reflect and to shape the changing landscape uh, of the beer scene. Um, some people, you know, beers that, that uh, three years ago were getting overlooked because of, uh, you know, they were using perhaps, you know, for example, New World Hop in a Pilsner or something. And, and, and the criticism was, well, you know, it's not Pilsner, it's too, you know, uh, New Worldy. Now there's that New World Pilsner category that has kind of developed out of that. And it might even be worth, Matt, um, uh, That's a nice little segue it, to a story I want to bring up too, Prof. By the way, oh, there you go. Well, mate, do you want to get straight into it now? Because we'll, um, I might just park that for a bit. And uh, once the uh, RASV and the AIBA has appointed a new um, competition manager for um, for the beverage side of things, it might be worth uh, having a bit of a chat to them, or even perhaps getting Damien Newstig on, um, who's the most recent, to get a bit of a, I guess, over the three years that he's been in charge, how things have changed and uh, how the RASV works um, devilishly hard to uh, to make sure that you know it is as even a playing field as as what we can get but go on Matt throw to you yeah no uh, Phil Cook um, our good friend in New Zealand across the Dutch um, wrote an interesting little uh, blog post last week uh, where he was drinking what he described as some very fine pilsners and one of them was the Tuatara pilsner that these days is called Mochureka uh, Mochureka yes yeah um, and he, he he did you know, we love a little bit of a good marketing shenanigans here. But he, he read from the back of the bottle, long ago in 2001, we had a eureka moment. We're miles away down here, so why copy their beers? Using all local hops from the Mochueka era, area, we perfected this 100% New Zealand Pilsner. Crisp, firm-bodied with notes of citrus, it spawned a whole new style of beer, now proudly sent offshore to faraway places like New Zealand. Now... When I read that to you, and that's from the current um, Tuatara website, what's what's your takeaway from that, Ian? Uh, when, when you hear that, that they've been making the beer in the same way in the uh, New World Pilsner style since two thousand and one, and they invented the style. Uh, invented the style, I don't know. I'm not going to weigh in on that. When did Emerson's Pilsner come out? Um, you know, because that's had Motueka and uh, or Bisars as it was back oh, then. Oh, Bisars, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Um, the artist now known as Summer, I think, isn't it? Uh, no, no, yeah, my, my, my B-SARS, yeah, it was the Belgian SARS and B-SARS and then Ruach was D-SARS, but uh, certainly it had it had those uh, B-SARS in it for a long time. Um, uh, so I'm not going to really say who spawned that style, but 
Uh, it's certainly the Kiwi's been doing Kiwi pills for a long time and at the IRBA judging uh, for many years, you know, we've had sections where there was uh, Pilsner or other and it was just a accepted thing, oh, this is a Kiwi Pilsner. Uh, it wasn't an official style guideline listed by the Brewers Association, but uh, everyone really judging knew that, yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's an emerged style. Other comps haven't caught up to that and have had a difficult thing, but it, comps aren't perfect. It, it's hard to run the perfect comp because we've all had a, a different idea and, you know, we don't want to eventually have uh, beers that are aged in barrels that are kept on the left-hand side of the brewery section um, in there or will just spread out too far. But certainly, Kiwi Bills to me have been around a, a long time. It's a to be an established soil, whether the Brewers Association says it or not. Yeah, well, but the, the, the reason um, is just there seemed to be a suggestion that they were claiming the um, to having brewed it that way since 2001. And the, the point that Phil made... Um, is and the, the internet wayback machine is a fantastic research tool for anyone that wants to call shenanigans on uh, brewery marketing. But if you go back to look at a snapshot of the Tuatara website in as recently as 2010, Pilsner, the Pilsner is brewed to a classic European uh, recipe using 100% New Zealand malt and SARS hops. Now, is that SARS B or SARS D or is it yeah, you know, so is go. it? Um, this gives it traditional hop bitterness, flavour and aroma, a true Pilsner. An authentic Czech Pilsner yeast was selected for its ability to ferment at very low temperatures. Um, so, you know, at least, and then I've fired a question off to the PR people of DB to find out what the recipe was. But when you look at what they're claiming now is that we've been brewing it with these New Zealand hops since 2010. Um, but then if you go back to an earlier incarnation of their website when they, you know, were claiming that it was an authentic Bohemian Pilsner. At some point in time, whether it's now or then, they're bending the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, it's okay. You're bending the truth now. Or you're bending the truth seven years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and look, actually, seven years ago, uh, it wasn't called B It was called. It had changed to Motueka. Uh, then uh, it was probably ten or more years ago that it changed. They changed the name of it. Um, so they'd be stretching in that. And that old uh, release there to say that it was SARS, even though yes, technically it's a SARS derivative uh, hop, but they'd be stretching it, stretching it then. So, so was it a, a craft brewery that was lying ten years ago, or is it a big? Because of course, Tuatara is these <laughs> days owned by DB. They've changed, uh, man. They've changed. <laughs> well, that's. I mean, it, <laughs> it used it, to be it, all about the beer, man. But the, the the thing that to me is very interesting about this is you know. Everyone has a foundation myth about, you know, the, 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 the brewery um, and craft breweries do the same way. But when this sort of stuff goes unchecked, you, you do end up with those uh, nonsense stories like the Crown Lager um, that is, is very close to my heart. And, you know, here particularly, um, they do seem to be, and to answer Ian's question, um, the, you know, the classic um, Pilsner um, or New World Pilsner, which was one of the ones I remember sharing with you, you know, 10, 12 years ago when we, when we first met. Yeah, yeah. Emerson's Pills, yeah, I was certainly doing it. When you could get it and you just couldn't get it often enough. No, that's right. We, uh, at the time, the, uh, first getting in 14 or so years ago, um, we couldn't keep it on the shelf. Uh, mm. It would sell that quick. You know, I'd, I'd sell a couple of cases on a Friday night and it was 500 mil bottles that were... And they were expensive. expensive. Yeah, and they... <laughs> They, they were just flying out the flying out the door. Um, but that was 1998. So even three years before Tuatara now claims to have invented the style, uh, Emerson's was making a pilsner with uh, local hops and really celebrating that new world. And in fact, it was uh, Ian that I learned the term new world 
uh, Pilsner um, from, and I think it was probably even Emerson's, uh, you know, way back when. Um, so yeah, no. So I thought I'd throw yeah. that in the uh, mix, Prof. I'll report back next week. Nice get, mate. I've got dating uh, further back, Matt. I'd have to go back and check old uh, copies of Zimagi magazine from when I was a member of the American Homebrewers Association. Um, but Charlie Papazian writing an article uh, challenging people to do something different, and he was talking about uh, Kiwi Pilsners in that and okay. using the Kiwi grown SARS and Halatau, uh varieties then, and that would have been in the late 90s. Okay. Um, Emerson's was established 1992. I don't know how long the, the Pilsner, uh, how long before the Pilsner came onto the range, but obviously uh, at least 98. Um, it's now called the New Zealand Pilsner. It was New World Pilsner, though, then, back then. I think it was, I think it was just called Pilsner, um, Emerson's Pilsner, um, was, was all yeah. it was called. Uh, I suppose a quick uh, phone call to Lion, and uh, they're owned by Lion now, I believe. They're, they're, they're owned by Lion these days, so, uh, yeah, we can go back and check that. Yeah, you'd be able to find yeah. out when it was first brewed, and whether, you know, it might have changed with time, too. You might find that Richard was brewing with um, something else back here, you know, it was brewing with Czech Sars or, or something years ago, and then he swapped over the local stuff. And, and hop varieties change, and that's the thing, like this idea that beers are static, immutable, never change, except, of course, as we discussed last week, Prof, uh, VB hasn't changed in 100 years. Um, not a bit. Not a bit, according to their website. But um, And if we re- did, we're sorry, and we're changing it. <laughs> Recipes are works in progress. As, as a professional brewer, you'd, uh, you, yeah, you'd, you'd work for a number of breweries. That's, that's right. You know, you're, you're constantly, if you're not looking to um, constantly improve the, the beer, you know, whether it's by minor or major tech, tweaks you know you're, you're probably being a little bit lazy uh, and then we're talking just as wine is we're talking an agricultural product and we've got four harvests a year we've got a northern and southern hemisphere grain harvest harvest and a northern and southern hemisphere hop harvest and every year they change and hop varieties and so forth change over over time too there's some varieties that i used to love and they've totally changed uh, and looking into it and doing some research some of that is some things that just we as a whole community are learning about about hops and considerations we didn't have about maturity of vines and, and what that does to the to the flavour of, of various hops too. We've known about that and talked about that for years with wine. We know that old vines give a different profile to young vines, but uh, uh, from what I've been told, we're, we're learning exactly the same thing with hops as, as well. So while, while we're just... Uh Got this issue on the ground. Uh, one of the questions that we, that Pete and I regularly hear is little creatures dumb down. Change, not as good as it once was. Where do you stand on, on, on that argument? Mate, I haven't had a creatures in a while. Uh, I was just speaking to um, some guys about this not too long back. Uh, the last few creatures I've had, uh, I've been bitterly disappointed with, and I'm not going to say this is anything. Disappointedly bitter or? <laughs> no, uh, the reason I was uh, bitterly disappointed with them was because of the, the condition that they were in. Okay. It's not the fault of the brewery at all. Um, it was just the bottle shop that's nearby me, uh, probably goes through a six pack of creatures every six months. So uh, I've learned my lesson not going back there. You know, look, that's what I need to go and do this afternoon is buy creatures. But the previous times that I'd had it where it was in uh, not damaged through, the, through time, still a great beer. Um, has it changed? Yeah, probably. Uh, have my palate changed? Yeah, probably. Uh, has it changed because they're trying to dumb it down? I highly doubt that. It's just things of, you know, time moves on, things change. Um, we had in 2008, you know, the great hop, 
hot crisis and uh, that affected creatures as it affected us all. They had to look out for other things. I think, uh, and don't quote me on this because I've never brewed for little creatures. So That's okay, we're not recording. Um, but uh, I believe originally it was Cascade Chinook and EKG um, in, in the very early days uh, and they were getting their Cascade Chinook as fresh flowers from the US. They, they had to get special export uh, dispensation or import dispensation for and that, yeah. Quarantine, still do, still yep. do. And they had to destroy the uh, uh, the spent flowers afterwards too. But you know, with changes to that, they had difficulty getting the flowers. Um, they had to look to other things there too, and then also adjusting the recipe over the year as the the, the beer as the hop crop starts to deteriorate. They put many many other things through there, but uh, I'm sure that the uh, parameters that they're aiming for are exactly the same. And it's um, I. I you know, hey, if someone from Lyme wants to send me down to uh, Geelong so I can take the fresh out of the tank and confirm back to my memory of what I always remember, I'd love to do that. But I'm sure it's it's every bit as good a beer as it always was and it was always a, a favourite of mine. And, um, yeah, if I know that I can get a fresh uh, uh, creature, I'll, I'll grab it any day. Great beer. Mate, I'll, I'll, arrange, I'll arrange for them to send you over to Frio because it's uh, nothing uh, nothing against Geelong, but uh, much nicer view over at Frio. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Well, how about I go to both, you know, uh, in uh, two days. So, so <laughs> Compare and contrast. We, we might need to take it on the road. You know, um, uh, uh, I have no stake in, in Lion. Um, never worked for Lion. Um, I did drink a Tui's New and a 4X Gold a few weeks ago, but... Um, we won't hold that against you. Yeah. I can then <laughs> confirm how good it, how good it well was in comparison. And as the first person to pour creatures on draft in Queensland, um, I could do a comparison to what it was like that day in that park in 2005. <laughs> first in and Ian's one bloke whose uh, palate I would trust uh, in terms of uh, flavour memory, Prof. But Prof, I'd, if, exactly. if I could keep going and sort of uh, keep my segue uh, chain going. We haven't actually got to the news yet. So no, no. Well, th th this is it. news. Plenty as well. of time. So, so, so they are news items. I just hadn't uh, added them to the show notes, um, which you hadn't read anyway. Um, but, uh, I read them. I just hadn't shared them. I've got them in front of me. I don't know well, why you guys can't see. I've done some show notes as well. But come on, anyway. just like we did in rehearsal. Go on. Um, Ian's talked about sending beers across, and you know, just with, with a fresh hoppy beer, even a couple of days for judging purposes, it can has, have some effect. And we've also talked about, um, you know, the uh, staling effect. Uh, we, we're seeing, we've seen this week a news uh, release from Panhead Brewery, New Zealand's Panhead Brewery, that not only are they becoming more available over here through uh, Lions Malt Shovel uh, distribution arm, they're also going to start brewing Quick Charge XPA locally. Um, and we're going to have the chance to speak to Mike Nielsen, who's the chief beer engineer at Panhead. We might even come to uh, what you call yourself, uh, whether you're a brewer or a chief beer engineer, uh, Ian. But uh, we're going to be speaking to Mike, and Lions backing us, uh, backing will really help Panhead get in the hands of anyone, anywhere in Australia and New Zealand. That's really important to us because we want as many people as possible to experience our beer. We're particularly stoked to be working with the boys at Malt Shovel to brew Quick Change XPA locally. They're techie brewers just like us. And by brewing this beer locally, our kegs are fresher than ever. Um, Ian, do you think there is a big uh, issue around brewing under license and uh, brewing beers fresh to market? And if so, does that actually change the beer from being a brewery to just being a brand? Brewing it as local as possible is always better for freshness, just no doubt about it. Um, yeah, it, it really does. The less it's going to travel, the, the, the better in, in so, so many ways, particularly a really hoppy, hoppy beer like that. Absolutely, I, I've no doubt. 
they'll probably come across some little difficulties um, there in, in translating it between their plants, but you know, that's a big company. They've got a lot of very, very smart grills and they've got a lot of fancy machines that go bing to, uh, to analyze and, and get it as close as possible. So I'm sure it'll be um, as close as possible uh, to, to the, uh, the beer that's made in its home plant. Um, and, but undoubtedly for freshness, it'll, it'll make, a, make a huge difference. Uh, there's still like, the battle of making sure there's pulled through on the shelf and that, you know, yes, they might be brewing fresher and locally, but you've got to sell enough to make sure it's turning over on that size plant that you're brewing on, because otherwise it doesn't matter whether it comes from New Zealand, whether it comes from, uh, uh, you know, the next, the next block. If it's on the shelf nine months later, it's a nine-month-old beer, uh, not, a, not a fresh pale. Um, as to whether that becomes a, a brand or whatever, yeah, I suppose it, it can too be that, but, you know, you go to McDonald's, you don't say, well, I'm not at the original McDonald's, so it's not really Big Mac, it's just a, a brand, and yeah, McDonald's is a brand, but you don't say, yeah, you, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it's, it still is a Big Mac, it's still a Big Mac, and uh, I'm sure Panhead XBA is going to be Panhead XBA, where, no matter where it's made, as long as they do their, their homework and, and make it in the way that that beer is designed and what they want that beer to be. Because I'm just going to follow up with another little segue, Prof. Um, another news item that just floated around, it didn't quite make the cut a couple of weeks ago, but we got a media release, uh, obviously in the ABI uh, world, SAB Miller um, shake-up, they had to get rid of a whole lot of brands. Um, so CUB in Australia lost Peroni and, uh, let's see, Peroni and a few other things to Asahi. And so we got a media release, you know, for, for a long time Australians were upset that Peroni was being brewed under licence here. CUB always counted uh, quite fairly, I thought, by saying that, you know, you're getting a much fresher version of um, Peroni here because it hasn't spent six months coming across the ocean. It was Suddenly, far better. It was far better coming across the ocean or brewed here? No, no, no. No, it was far better. The stuff that was brewed fresh was absolutely... It was for, you know, it's Italian for VB, but it was singing. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, a couple of weeks ago, we got a media release. Asahi Premium Beverages welcome Peroni and Grolsch. Just touching base with some great industry news ahead of Australian summer. Asahi Premium Beverages are celebrating the first keg of Peroni and Astro Zero tapped at Melbourne Public Bar today. Um, and it's brewed, you know, it's announcing that it was very proudly that it was imported, fully imported, um, after a long time of CUB saying how good it was. Um, and I find them back questions saying, look, you know, that's really interesting. Every other brewer in the world celebrates brewing locally. Um, aren't you concerned about the condition that's going to be arriving in? And the response I got was, Peroni pack and draft products will now come fully imported from Italy, upholding the premium quality of Peroni, Nastro Zero and Laguerra is of utmost importance. And with the continued advancement of technologies in brewing, packing and transportation, as well as our thorough testing and trial process, freshness will not be an issue. Ian, it sounds like they've managed to su suspended, you know, send their beer into suspended <laughs> wow. animation. This is Superman 2, isn't it? There's the it one is. where he went backwards he, so fast around the world that he reversed time. Exactly. So They're, They've got ships that are going opposite to the Earth's gravitational spin and, and doing it so quickly that it actually stops time so that the beer actually gets here fresher than it would if they brewed it at Laverton. Yeah, so it's all one of those things that, you know, I always come back to, you know, brewers can say what they want um, uh, about their product and if they're willing to stand up for that, good on them what really shits me is when you've got brewers that uh, are willing to say whatever the current winds uh, are saying so when you've got a brewer that you know people quite fairly get upset when you've got a small brewery that builds its reputation on 
being small, local and independent, and then suddenly they get to a size and they sell out saying, well, this is going to let us not be local anymore. You can understand why people get a little bit upset. And then when, uh, you know, you, and I remember when we did a parallel importing show you know, years ago, Prof, um, on, on the podcast, and yeah, yeah. I had statements from all of the big brewers saying, no, we want to have full control. Um, and we Sean want to Nalen, I think, wasn't it? Sean Nalen, and, you know, like, again, good old Sean. Uh, he, if you'll recall, he was telling me how fresh his beer was, and he sent me a, uh, uh, and I ordered during the podcast. I jumped on his website and ordered a six pack, and it had three weeks left on its, uh, you know, best before date. Um, when he was telling me that they're all, uh, you know, anyway, so that was. Well, it wasn't out of stock, though, man. It wasn't, it, wasn't out of out of, it wasn't out of date. No, but uh, but yeah, no. So so brewers who one hand want to, you know, and Peroni is a brand. On one hand, they want to say that we brew under license because we're fresh. My understanding is that it's only being brewed because Asahi doesn't, with all of their other brewing commitments, doesn't have the uh, capacity to brew Peroni. Also, Peroni has um, some unusual, uh, not unusual really, but something that many breweries aren't really set up to brew in this process for how it's made. What's that, the corn? Yeah. Oh, mate, sorry, the, uh, yeah. I'll have to get the correct because it sounds so much better in Italian that's, than that's calling right, it corn. Yeah. They yeah, call it uh, some particular strain. That of, the, local call, the locals call maize. Yeah, inver- no, well, but it's not even maize. It's got some... You know, the native uh, Italians. Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> takes you half an hour to, to say the word in Italian, but in the end it's uh, corn. Um, and they, they've managed to make it, it sound very, very sexy. But yes. Yeah, so, so you, you can't just chuck corn into a, um, into a brew. It uh, doesn't quite work that way. Well, yeah, you can, but no, you can't. At the same time, you've got to have a cereal cooker and deal with that. And just a sake of a cereal cooker in Australia. Probably not. Do they want to go and spend the money on that for the brand? How long is that deal for? Uh, does the Actually, I, don't, I wouldn't mind firing a question up to CUB and finding out whether CUB had to install one or whether they had one. If somebody from CUB is listening, then perhaps they could uh, get in touch with us uh, via the mailbag and tell us, uh, did you have to install a special corn shoot um, for, <laughs> while you guys are brewing Peroni? Hey, guys, we uh, need to... Talk about uh, news. Speaking of shooting, uh, today we are going to discuss uh, the WA brewers who are uh, going to be hit with the bottled deposit cost, and then we will move on to $120 kegs, good or bad, discuss. First of all, um, our friend Ross Lewis over at The Sip, uh, did a, posted a, a cracking article about the uh, the WA brewers and the uh, container deposit scheme and how that's going to affect them. And add, I think he talked about around about four dollars fifty or so to the the price of a case. Yeah, that actually followed on a prof from something that Beer and Brewer wrote uh, in their newsletter last week, and I think uh, which followed on from something that the Independent Brewers Association. Uh, put out because um, they quoted quite heavily from Chris McNamara um, and I believe that they were just lifting directly from a statement that the IBA um, put out. So, it, yeah, it, I believe it's a national issue and Queensland brewers are going to have the same thing. Well, yeah, we've got the same thing coming in too. Uh, I'll be honest and say I'm not completely across it. Uh, in previous roles, I, I, that would have been part of my jobs to be more across that, you know, uh, but in my current role, uh, I'm more about making beer rather than uh, the the business around that there, but yeah, I uh, actually Chris uh, McNamara from uh, the Independent Brewers Association had a bit of a chat with him about it uh, a month or so back. He popped in for a visit, and um, yeah, there's there's quite a few uh, little loose end issues on it that um, don't seem to make uh, uh, much sense. He he was very across it and very across it for how it works 
in each state. Uh, and a lot of this stuff, it seems as though they've just lifted the legislation straight from another state and want to dump it in, in there, which then naturally can have some issues. And naturally it doesn't apply to um, uh, uh, wine and um, cider and uh, something else as well. I was a little bit surprised. Um, about spirits. About that. Spirits doesn't apply to spirits, but yeah. No, because uh, apparently they're consumed at home and they don't enter the uh, waste stream. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> they, haven't been, they haven't been able to walk around our neighbourhood on a Sunday morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the RTV cans a little over the road. Um, so, so I'm not super uh, across it. Um, look, as and as Chris pointed out to me, he said it's actually really not so much in a recycling set up as a recycling thing, it's set up as an anti-litter thing. Now, the recycling thing, I'm, I'm very behind that. That's my personal politics um, in that you know, we need to look after our planet. Uh, a lot better and, and us as uh, the beverage industry we need to do our, our bit there too but it's more set up as a littering thing hence why um, yeah those other things aren't included because apparently people only don't drink them uh, when they're out there. Now when it's as a, uh, a, a recycling thing look that's something that's decided we've just got to, to grin and bear it and yeah it'll make your cost of your beer that you're going to buy dearer but you know if we're all recycled properly and we all uh, take it into the centre we get that money back. But still, it's a pain in the bum for, for, for breweries to have to have to deal with. Do you reckon maybe it's a, a pseudo new start scheme for hobos? I know in South Australia they have uh, a lot of the bins are dedicated to the to the scouts, and the scouts will then sort of pick through and uh, you know separate the bottle caps and tops and things like that, and then take the the bottles down. But and again, even in South Australia, there are still types of bottles that aren't recyclable uh, and just on that recycle 100 behind you what the, the the shame is that um you know our recycling so often consists of sending stuff to uh, a recycling place where it then goes on a ship to china to be recycled um and god knows what happens to it then um some of it we get back but some of it you know just gets ends up in landfill um yeah, there's, there's an amazing amount of crap that we spend a lot of time and effort recycling that ends up in landfill because we simply cannot as a as a country we we, we don't have the the resources to recycle it and the, the the greatest ridiculous irony is south australia um the last australian recycling plant is being closed down because they can't afford to run it um because they can't afford the power yeah well can, can we afford really to have those products if we can't afford to deal with the packaging and recycle it there you know we as responsible consumers need to need to think about that. Uh, we're getting off topic of beer here. Oh, no, no. But, but, know, we, we do deal with this. We've got ways to, to deal with and we do have to think about the miles and so forth on that. And, you know, as a brewer, I think about that at times when I'm uh, using an ingredient that's come from the other side of the world and say, I love this ingredient. There is nothing like it. I really want to use it. But, you know, I'm, I'm dragging something across the other side of the world when there is ingredients that will make beer, not the beer I'm wanting to make, but mm. will make beer and, and great beer available right here in this this country but that's where there's often a hidden cost you know you you say that and if somebody sets up to replicate here and they're doing it at small scale they can end up putting out more co2 emissions by being inefficient but local than being highly efficient in europe and sending the sending it on a boat here Um, and, and that's where sometimes we get caught up in you know simple concepts like food miles and don't look at some of the input costs that go from being local. And, you know, it's the sort of thing that does your head in. Oh, yeah, um, there are so many streams that you can all take it off from there. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely right. Um, 
yeah, that is that is very very much part of it. But it's still something we've got to think about every absolutely every time we're we're doing it. And then our end results packaging when we're we're creating something. It's like how recyclable uh, is it? And look, that is a great um, uh, thing about uh, cans. They are uh, very recyclable from mm. uh, what I believe, with uh, less waste than glass. I believe they take more power for the first unit, but every recycle uses less than glass. Because uh, I remember doing an article for a Green magazine probably seven or eight years ago, uh, and, and the most environmentally friendly way to drink beer is to drink beer at a pub from a stainless steel keg, particularly if you've walked to the venue. Yeah, yeah, um, short of that, um, and, and again, I, I, I could be wrong here, but I, from memory... Um, Aluminium to turn bauxite into first-use aluminium takes more than glass, but then it's much cheaper to recycle. Yeah, um, I think I've yep. heard something along those along those lines there too. That, that and there is much much greater. Some I'm sure will be able to write in and tell you this. There is uh, 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 much less wastage in the recycling of the aluminium too. So there's only a certain amount of glass that can actually be recycled. So if you have one kilo of glass. I'm plucking things out of the air here. I'm yeah, 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 yeah. Talking yeah. about that there's one kilo of glass that you're going to get X percentage of that actually can make it into a new product, but with aluminium, that that is a higher percentage of yeah. glass to the original. But I'm no expert. That's probably something that we need to yeah keep an eye on and see how it pans out. Uh, when's it, when's it come in to to Brisbane, guys? Do you? I have think, an idea? No, I don't. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not paying enough attention to it. Um, <laughs> I'm waiting for other people to tell me. New South Wales, I think, comes in later this year, doesn't it? And I think Queensland I, is six or 12 months after that we get it. We're pretty shortly after. Yeah, um, yeah, we're, we're not too far away. Yeah, um, it's, um, yeah but, but I, I haven't paid enough uh, enough attention to it, to be to be honest. But we do have the IBA that's uh, going to back for us in all yep. in all areas for it. Uh, and maybe, yeah, maybe that's something we need to uh, perhaps get a, get on to Chris McNamara and see if he'll pop on and, and join us as a guest to perhaps uh, either foreshadow what it's going to mean for brewers or to perhaps give us a bit of a, a review once it once it has come in. But either way, uh, presumably, it's all going to be about cost, which is a very nice segue into our key Just issue. Just before you do, Prof, I mean, I, I, I hate to bang this drum again, but this is one of the reasons when you look at wine and even spirits um, and an odd assortment of things aren't included in the container deposit, beer is once again a really, really easy target. And it seems to be something that government just doesn't see any reason to exclude beer for the same reasons that they're willing to distill, you know, spirits. Spirits are made by some of the biggest companies in the world, and yet they've managed to carve out a um, an, an exemption Artisan niche. And, and wine, and um, particularly, wine is so effective at convincing people. Even though the greatest volume of wine consumed in Australia is in casks, still, wine still talks about being, you know, supporting local growers and being an industry that's beer doesn't do that. And you know, when I you know, create debates you know, around things like calling beer booze or talking about drunkenness and those sorts of things. There is an underlying perception about beer that needs to change because otherwise we have to have this fight over and over and over again about why beer deserves the same consideration that some of the other, uh, you know, um, dare I say, boutique industries uh, managed to get. But anyway, that was just my little... Uh, Quick soapbox. No, no, for sure. No, no. Well, well put. And don't forget, um, thanks to our friends at the Wheat Chief Hotel and the Wheaty Brewing Corps, who proudly sponsor Matt's Soapbox. <laughs> now, we've talked briefly, and what I mentioned, you know, uh, Matt, sorry, mentioned that, you know, the, the, the most 
eco-friendly way to drink beer is to pop down to your local and drink it from a keg into a reusable glass. If that keg has only cost the publican $120, are we seeing a race to the bottom or is this good for craft beer? Matt, discuss. Yeah, look, I'll go over the story for anyone that missed it, although it seems to have had a bit of traction on, online. Um, you know, Prof, every week, and you and, you and I have uh, talked about some people um, you know, selling cheap kegs, and you've absolutely denied uh, some of the people, some of the names that I've heard. And uh, you know, I'm, well, I've just clarified that the that the information was incorrect. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> That's we're not constantly getting uh, red hot rumours that Brewer X is selling beers at one hundred and eighty dollars or two hundred dollars a keg, um, and you, you know you're absolutely assured of it. Very rarely see any you know sales invoices or anything, or sometimes it's a you know, when you dig a little bit deeper, it's a one-off for, uh, you know, a very good client or, you know, whatever, and, and it's got out. This was one, uh, I saw it on Facebook late last week um, from a, somebody posting on Facebook, $120 kegs, shit, you know, we've finally reached uh, the, the, the race to the bottom. Started digging around, and it turned out that it was Sydney Brewery Red Oak, um, and not only that, but I was able to get an email that was sent out as a essentially a batch email offering $120 kegs plus GST plus Sydney Metropolitan delivery. So, you know, you're looking at about 132 with GST and, you know, maybe $140 um, with delivery, depending on how much it is, um, for an Aussie Pale and an Aussie Lager. Um, you're looking at 57.50 on a 4.2% 50-litre keg. Um, so you, you're looking at under $80 a keg to cover your wages, um, brewery uh, costs, you know, bottle materials. Um, if you're using keg star kegs, all of those sorts of things. So there's not a lot of margin in in a brewery like that. So I did a story, and it, like it wasn't uh, setting out to. Um, shit can anybody because it was an interesting story and there's been some really interesting discussion online about it um, but the thing that really resonated for me was I contacted a local publican to see whether he'd uh, got the email and he had and he was part of a, um, a, a chain actually I'll, I'll take one step back the rationale for it was to get beer on trial that it was to uh, you know as a anti-contract big brewery contract device um, and it was to encourage trial and it wasn't designed to hurt other small brewers um, so I contacted a brewer um, he was in Clarence Street you know a couple of hundred meters up the road from Red Oak um, and the thing that I found most interesting was he'd never had any representative of the brewer come in and say hey we make this great beer we've won a swag of awards would you like to try it we can hand deliver it. We're just down the road. We can hand deliver it. We're just down the road. The first that they'd ever heard was $120 kegs. And he also made the point of saying, look, you know, we do have some tap contracts, but we also have a regular tap takeover. We have, uh, you know, a wide range of... Guest taps. Um, you know, local guest taps. And this $120 keg will be taking one of them off tap. It won't be doing anything with our uh, tap contracts. So, um, yeah, but the flip side of that is some people said, uh, look... You know, God, it, 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 this has got the national attention and it's a great marketing exercise. And if you know, the, the profit that they would have taken out of a full price keg had gone into marketing, they're probably in about the same position. So uh, anyway, that, that's it in a nutshell. Ian, what, what are your thoughts? From a straight up point of view um, of 
of the breakdown of it, yeah, you're looking in the 50s in the dollars for um, that there. Your cost of goods has still got to come on there, uh, which depending on your ingredients, that let's just put a figure out of here and say it's 30 bucks, you know, it could be as low as 20 bucks, 30 bucks. So there's very little for your um, overhead recovery on top of that. You know, well, it's essentially, I cannot see how you can do overhead recovery on top of that. However, they're not alone in doing this. Uh, I really don't like it uh, at all. In the words of, of a famous Queenslander, I don't like it. But I'll say this, at least they have the guts there straight up and, and saying this is the price of our keg. This stuff happens every day. Yep. Everyone's hiding behind. We all hear the rumour mills, but everyone everyone is really, really they, they cover their tracks. They're just coming out and saying this is price. So while I don't like it, good on them. They've got the guts to say, well, we're doing it at that price. Yep. And, and not play the... We're so nice to you, our fellow brewer. We wouldn't do anything to hurt you and then selling beer for less than half the cost of all the debt. So, you know, hey, it's their business model. I can do that. I won't be doing that. Yeah. I don't think you can take this particular one away from the from the brewery involved because, you know, like... Red Oak, like again, it was one of the breweries that really inspired um, my love of craft beer. You know, visiting them, and also it completely shaped my view of how craft beer should be, and then how the culture around craft beer should be Absolutely. because of the way that they ran the, um, the, the the cafe with the glassware, the service. Every staff was trained um, in beer before they were allowed to pour a beer, and just how fastidious that they did. But they've never. <laughs> ever really traded on that and uh you know there's a very strong personality behind the brewery and uh when the craft beer industry association set up um or it was going to be called the australian craft beer association um this brewery was instrumental in not only setting up the australian real craft beer association but registering the craft beer association website that they've never used purely as a wrecking ball to stop this association that they had philosophical problems with from using that website. And I remember having, and I'd always gone on with the brewer, um, you know, despite his personality quirks. Um, but we had a real falling out about that because I was talking to him and he was telling me about his battle was against the big brewers and they were always coming in and trying to steal his recipes. Um, and that, you know, he was negotiating with a venue for, for some contracts and the big guys came in and stole the contracts out from after him. I was going, hold on. Is your problem with contracts or is your problem with people who contract better than you do? Um, and did, I mean, casting this $120 deal as being anti-contracts, when well, he's been quite happy to sort of uh, look at contracts in the past. You know, there, there, there's a personality around this brewer that, um, around this brewery that, that makes it a, a very, a little bit more complicated than a straight out marketing exercise. Yeah, like it is, in some ways I prefer a contract to the, the sorts of deals that are going around at the moment and things like this because they're, they're with a contract, at least you are guaranteeing, you know, all that the company that's doing it is guaranteeing a loyalty from, from someone there. Uh, so they know that the price they pay for that contract is that that line is gone. You know they they've given that up. Whereas when it's one-offs, you know that is really really damaging. And whether it comes in the form of a straight up price that low, or whether it comes in the form of you know, we'll hide it through uh, uh, other giveaways, it's all it's all the same. But you know at least I think they've got the guts to come out and say yep. we're we're doing yep. it. So you know whereas everyone else is hiding about it. And none of us are going, you know, and including me here too, you know, I'm not really going to talk about it because, you know, I don't want to trash someone else's business and say, look, they're doing things that I think they're a bit of a, uh, can I use the 
use profanity. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, it's not minor profanity. It's very minor profanity. Those that, of you that know me know that I come out with a lot more than this. But they're being assholes in the way that they're, you know, uh, what, they're, what they're doing. And all it is is because everyone is here to survive. We're all here to survive. So these guys that are doing these asshole deals, realistically, they're probably just trying to survive their business. Yeah, oh, yeah. And so you can't begrudge someone for 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 that, you know, for, for trying to survive. We all survive. And if it's you or me, it's... It's going to be me. So, but it's just not good for our industry, and it's not good for your own business long term. That, that's what I was going to say. When you're just trying to survive, that brings in two things. One, will you survive long term if you're devaluing your brand mm-hmm. um, because you're getting conditioning publicans in the same way that contracts have always uh, conditioned a lot of publicans to just be lazy and just sit there and not care about what they're serving they just take the rebates um, and is that good for beer in the long term but also is it good for your own brewery long term but more importantly is it you know if you're willing to put that pricing in a market and the next brewery that would not choose to do that but has to compete to, to stay open does that mean that we're ultimately going to see some businesses that would otherwise you know it, it, if everybody was just competing on quality and you know service and, and those sorts of things that have a cost are we going to see some of those businesses fail because they're ripping the price out of a, a product that is expensive to make? Yeah, well, while you're saying that, I was thinking there's a, an, another side to this too of the way that these deals can come about as well. It's not just a brewery trying to survive and build, and build themselves up. But once you get to the point where you've got essentially overhead recovery, where all your fixed overheads, your wages, your rent, uh, insurance, all that, all that's covered, the only additional overhead you've really got on top of your cost of goods and excise is your power, which you know, or, or, or gas and so forth, which will, which will fluctuate with your um, uh, with your production. Once you've got those other things done, then you've got a massive potential chunk in the price of your keg that's no longer taken up. And you can go, well, hey, this just helps me move a bit of volume. So instead of making uh, however many dollars on that, I can make a, a fraction on that, and I'm still bringing in an extra two bucks for the business. And uh, any extra dollar is a dollar that you've got there, and that happens in the case of some of the larger, um, you know, uh, producers is that they're able to, to do that, and they can be actually be more aggressive and more cutthroat, and probably without meaning to be, just not thinking, but they can actually end up being more aggressive and more cutthroat than the than the big breweries, mm. so to speak, the, the non-independent breweries. And yeah, they're probably not meaning to be assholes, but they are being assholes. And it is fair to say that uh, on the interwebs during the week that uh, there's a few keyboards out there that copped a fair hammering. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the criticism was around, you know, this you know, no, no brewery is an island, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum. This affects us all. I, I think we need to perhaps step back a little bit and say, okay, let, let's have a look at the the, the the bare facts, and that is that it's a small part of a larger core range of beers. There's only two beers that are being offered at this particular thing, perhaps to try to, you know get those trials happening and to break into a more mainstream market. So maybe it's going to end up in, in pubs that, you know, it's not going to be in any competition with any of the other uh, independent beers that are going around. And I thought one of the um, comments that, that really struck me as as kind of uh, very sage, and, uh, and this bloke is in my uh, top 10 of blokes that I love to have a beer with, um, Doug Donnellan. 
who uh, who made this comment. This may well be a very sound marketing strategy for a brewer looking at positioning part of their brand portfolio into the mainstream. It comes down to how you want to fund it, sucking up the manufacturing overheads and cost of goods into the balance sheet to offset your marketing spend and or balancing out or averaging your margins across your entire product range can create sufficient upside to give campaigns like this a shot. It's all about getting trial, right? Which I think is a, it puts it into perspective and really sort of um, takes that emotive side out of it. Um, and Matt, you've, you've, you've touched on that. It's, it, Red Oak is, let's not uh, you know, sugarcoat it, a fairly divisive uh, brand and a, and a, and a personality. Uh, but is this right, maybe something that, um, you know, like what I was saying, if you can make a little bit on these ones and then perhaps he puts uh, the extra onto some of his other more premium brands that are going to get a market anyway, and is it, yeah, rather than clutching at straws, is it just sort of David saying, okay, I've perhaps been a little bit slack on the marketing side and I need to get out there? Yeah, I, I think we could go into a whole lot of uh, deeper We won't now. No, 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 just, we won't. Just, but yeah. just, I'm just going to balance that because that Doug, uh, his, his comment was uh, very sage. And another sage comment um, from uh, Miro Bellini, um, who waited. Always in, good for a sage comment, Miro. Always good for a sage comment. Um, I'd be heartbroken if I had Australia's most awarded brewery and Australia's cheapest kegs that I'd simultaneously proven and disproved the value of the industry in my own beer. Going back to what Doug said, I think he's actually pretty right there too. And you know, Tyson's something I, I said earlier, that at least they've got the guts to come up and say, this is the price where we're doing it for, and it's their business, you know? Yep. Um, and other breweries, we just don't have to, to do yeah, that. Yep. It does have an impact on all of us, but uh, it's not being done behind anyone's back. They're straight up to them. It's their business. We live. We we don't live in a um, society with price fixing. You know that's uh, a collusion. That's illegal in this country, and there is a, a reason why. Uh, but um, yeah, maybe if you can look at it as go, hey, uh, if we sell them X number of kegs of this, and then they buy a keg of one of our more expensive ones. Or, you know, we're talking to a brewery here that has a beer that's $50 a, a for, a, for a study too. Yeah. So maybe, you know, using it for some, some draw into there. Maybe they're using it to draw more people to their own venue to, to spend off there too, using it as, a, as marketing around for, for there. Because really there's not much money in wholesale nonstop anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't think the sky is falling. I don't think we need to sort of, uh, you know, rush to the lifeboats just yet for this thing we call craft beer but um it certainly will be interesting to to see into the future how how it does affect um other businesses other venues and other brewers and we would certainly welcome comments from anyone who uh agrees disagrees or uh sits somewhere in between our opinions today it's just ult ultimately though uh 120 gig is not sustainable it just you cannot run a business yep. that way if you want to go home and feed your family um you cannot sell $120 kegs of your entire lineup. That's no, no, 100%. Speaking of mailbox, Matt, we actually do have a letter in the mailbox, which uh, actually arrived last week, but I, um, I I couldn't find the letter opener and couldn't get the... That, uh, the that's out. okay. We, we, we've got two this week, Prof. So uh, Oh, there we go. Well, I'll read the first one because it's from last week, just in case they go in chronological order. From our good friend Paul Pacey. Hi fellas, thanks for the high quality podcasts and interviews of late, it's been great. Personally, I really enjoy hearing you blokes drop the F-bomb occasionally. So there you go, what are you? Uh, you're in good company. <laughs> and telling off the keyboard warriors. 
You guys sound comfortable and relaxed, and it's a good thing. Now, about Four Pines and Feral. Nah, just kidding. I really like Jade's take on it. Congrats, guys. Thanks for the good times. Now, see you later. Uh, you don't need our support. You just got all the support you'll ever need in that big fat check. You'll still sell heaps of great beer. Cheers. Uh, by the way, it's a very cool and unique situation where you guys are based in Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne uh, when James is here. I reckon you should mention that aspect of your brand a little more often. Maybe then you'll get your own offer from Big Beer um, with a little winky smiley face. I just landed in Sydney for a 10-day stay. Any re recommendations on a must-visit uh, venue? Sorry, Paul. That was <laughs> not now. Um, I hope you found some. Go check uh, out Thanks Reddit. again. Thanks again, Beer Blokes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and see if you can um, uh, get a, a brewery tour visit. Let's not get into that. That's like the old, the old vaudeville uh, gag with the, no, I want to hear lots of belly laughs from all the ones with big bellies and I want to hear lots of titters from, oh, no, 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 don't go there. Um, Matt, give us your uh, give us your mailbag piece. Yet another, and obviously Paul Pacey is the uh, owner of the Pacey's Poser question that we often ask. Um, this one is from another regular correspondent, Simon Godden from Jerengong, lovely part of the world. Uh, hi Matt, I listen again with interest in the latest episode to the cautionary tales of brewery numbers and the potential doom and gloom that any new brewery operator faces in the Australian market in the coming months and years. Whilst I understand your caution, I do think it's a little overstated and, dare I say, simplistic. Generalising about the overall number of breweries in Australia and assuming that any new brewery is therefore going to face a tough time ignores the important element of market. For sure, if you're planning to open in Sydney's inner west in the next 12 months, you'll be opening in a market which, as we all know, is pretty much saturated. If, on the other hand, you were planning to open a small regional centre with no local competition, you might find you're on a winner. I think this is a really important part of the equation, and I suspect there is potential for hundreds of small breweries to open in such locations and probably do okay. I guess I liken it somewhat to bakeries. Local bakeries face enormous competition from two or three very large manufacturers who saturate the marketplace shelves with prepackaged loaves, which are pretty much all like. The majority of people buy and consume bread, uh, and he goes on and uh, says that. I have some friends who plan to open a brewery in the first half of 2018 in my own small town, village of Jerengong, on the beautiful New South Wales south coast. Hopefully they'll do just as well as our local bakery has done for decades. And uh, Simon, absolutely, yeah, no, I, I think, um, I, I guess my point is was more at people who want to, who see a market that has already been uh, serviced and then think, hey, those guys are onto a winner. I should open a brewery just up the road from them because I'll be on a winner too. Absolutely, if, if there's a little country town and you've got a brewery that is willing to do the hard yards to not only service the existing demand, but communicate the value of local um, craft beer and provide a compelling reason that people should drink their local craft beer as opposed to one of the, in, in your example, uh, big uh, bakeries, Absolutely, I, I, I think that Australia's got a lot of room to grow. Unfortunately, I see a lot of people wanting to mine exactly the same seams. That's exactly right. And, um, you know, he's, he's totally right in what he says there. And there's something about the Australian uh, craft beer industry. The majority of breweries when they're open are wanting to be the next big thing rather than being a successful business. Uh, we do have to remember it is a is a business. I can make beer at home, and I can be just as happy doing that. I love making it at home. I love making it at work. Um, so it's a business. We're here to make sure something's successful, so that we can keep doing it. Um, if we're all trying to distribute our beer and sell it all over the place, it's just not going to work. Um, it's just simply not going to work. But if we look after our local area and we uh, service, uh, can put the value into it, just as he says in the bakery, 
there is probably many more and there's probably a lot in Australia at the moment there's got to be a bit of a reckoning really uh, I don't think our full model is successful uh, is the right success at the moment we've probably got can sustain the number of breweries that exist but probably not in the manner that we're all trying to operate I think having talked about a lot of the issues that we've had about freshness and awards and things in, in this podcast highlights that breweries that set up wanting to send their beer around the country um, from a fairly small base without a lot of the resources, that's where we're going to see a lot of breweries uh, struggle is my particular Absolutely, view. Absolutely, yeah. Yep. Look, if you're going to send your beer any further than, you know, a couple of hour uh, drive from from where you are, um, you know, it's going to go somewhere and it's going to be sitting, you know, it's going to be distributed out from there. You've got to have some pretty good QAQC in place. You've, you know, in my opinion, you really need to have a specialist employed to be doing that for you on your team um, and you've got to spend some good money on your your lab and you've got to be got to be doing that otherwise i really do think you're you're kidding yourself which is the opposite of the bootstrap that we see a lot of people wanting to uh That's to do right. so we're trying to run on a, on a shoestring getting beer everywhere to chase every sale that we can and it's just not doing your beer or your brand any any good no, hundred percent. And go and look. I don't think we. Uh, I hope, certainly hope we don't come across as you know doom and gloom merchants or chicken littles. But uh, but yeah, we need to grow our market. I think before we grow our, our number of brewers, uh, unless you're doing something particularly special. Um, but if you are, then you're going to take away from somebody who's perhaps not doing something quite as special. And what I since we got you here and got this uh, opportunity, I might throw it to you. Uh, all things being equal, and you've got a, an open check, so don't worry about the the cost. Let's say uh, between a 15, 20 heck. Uh, system. Would you prefer to open up in Marrickville or, as an example, you know, so an inner city where there's already half a dozen breweries already operating or a standalone, have it to yourself, uh, regional centre? Depend on the regional centre. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would it would, it really depend on that, that regional centre. There are regional centres that are, I think, uh, and I hate to use this term in, in, uh, in business and particularly in relation to beer, but there are regional centres that I think are right for exploitation of beer. Yeah, no, I, I get exactly what you mean. I, I feel exactly the same way because I think there's there's advantages to both. I look at the Bermondsey Beer Mile in um, in South London where you've got six or seven very small breweries. But what it does is it attracts people who know that I can go here. If I find this, well, they get some really great beers. Oh, that was nice. But I might walk now, you know, two minutes up the road to another one. So I think oh, there's that, an advantage there in, of, of having having a few in the. I, I don't think there's absolutely. so much uh, a saturation. I think there's a better opportunity if they're good brewers, uh, and and got some sort of offering, whether it's uh, you know food, entertainment, or something a little bit special, to actually bring people in. Whereas you you know your your, your small regional town can only drink so much beer, I guess. You know you, you you're, you're right on that. It's you know just the whole winery region phenomenon thing. Um, and, you know, it's something that we like in the area where we are here. You know, what we hope is that people can, you know, be in Brisbane, they can be at South Bank at, at you know, one of the venues there, Tipless Tap or something, having a beer, jump on two stops later, because we're right across from the train station, um, jump out, have a couple of beers with, you know, here, then uh, uh, either, you know, walk through and sneak under the, um, through the overpass and that, or, or jump in an Uber and, in, in two minutes' time, be over and having a beer at, at Helios, and then, jump up the road to uh, the guys at Ballistic, you know, because we're all so close. That's an advantage for all of us here. So it, it is dependent on that area. If somewhere is like uh, uh, what I believe the, the that area of Sydney is like now, you, you might be getting a little bit too much. Um, you know, you, you'd want to watch that for a few years and just sort of see and then think about a point of difference for your business and how your business um, 
what it's going to be doing that's that's different from the others, you know, whether that is in your product or the way that you exactly. present the product. I don't uh, want to go to five different places and find, yeah, uh, lager, pale ale, amber and a stout. That's right. But you you, know, you might be, well, you know, we're going to just do uh, black beers or we're just going to do German Sours. stuff or what, yeah, whatever. Yeah, or, exactly. or we're going to present it in this um, certain way, you know, um, you know, like Red Oak does with the, the, the very high-end uh, presentation of the... The beers, so give yourself a point of difference from from your other runs around there too. And then, when it's a regional centre, it depends on the size of that population that's there, what the demographics of of those ones are, what their drinking habits are, what the habits and the ownership of the other licensed premises in the area um, are. Because you have, you know, awesome areas like like Newcastle, where Newcastle is just a fantastic place for 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 beer. You know, your reasonable sized population. Um, and and has got a great brewery there um, uh, at, at the moment um, in in, in Falkhorn. Uh, but it's just been a natural centre for for beer. Um, so you know that that that's a regional centre. You know if you could find a place like like that, doesn't even have to be as big as as that, but uh, where you can where you can actually have a, a full market for your beer and not go well. I'm in a town of 200 people um, and I've got a 20 hectolitre brewery. Uh, once I inundated these guys, I've got to send them a beer further afield to make full use of my mm. my equipment. So you're Capacity, just gonna be, yep. you're just gonna be in a in a in a difficult situation. Or being in a tourist area where you've got feast and famine with your with your socks too, um, can be a, a, a difficult thing, you know, where over summer you simply cannot make enough money because, you know, you are making so much money for the size, but you can't get any more people in to get any more product to them and you can't have enough stock. Uh, that's in a fresh enough state without keeping it for three months beforehand to get it to them. And then in the middle of the year, you're just not getting enough people to, to buy your beer. And and probably what a great example of that is the um, the High Country Beer Trail uh, up here at the Alpine region in, um, in northeastern Victoria, where the eight local brewers have created a... Um, the, the High Country Beer Trail, which is a, a little marketing sort of uh, thing. So you go into any of those and you will then find out about the other seven. And so you go, oh, okay, well, tomorrow we might visit this one. On the way back from, you know, skiing or whatever, we might visit this other one. Uh, and I think there's there's something to be said for having confidence in your own product, but also knowing that uh, your competitors are also can also be your, you know, compadres. And, and you can actually build the... Uh, something greater than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. And it's a thing in those things where you hope that the other brewery nearby, you know, say, oh, you always hope that you're better than them. And it's like, well, yeah, you kind of do. But um, you actually hope they're at least as good as you, if not if not better, because it's, it's uh, better to have a brewery nearby that's uh, produces equally good product or, or produces, you know, exceptionally good product than to have a competitor nearby that produces atrocious product because that's just going to bring us bring us all down. Uh, and, exactly. And you, you want to be able to share that through there. I had um, someone come and get some advice from me a couple of months ago uh, setting up a brewery in a regional area. Uh, and um, one of the first things I said to him was, you've got another brewery uh, just down the road in that regional area. I think you can both survive and I think they're going to be your best friend. You should go down and let them know what you are doing um, because between the two of you, uh, you could actually build something up better than just one of you could have on your own. Sage advice from uh, Ian Watson there, folks. Um, Lizard, we do need to head off because I noticed from the clock on the wall that we have slightly gone over our uh, aimed for time limit. Uh, Wado, thanks very much for joining us and for filling in for James this week. Yeah, no worries.
And uh, thanks very much also for loaning us your brewery floor so that uh, we could record live from the uh, the brew house of uh, there at Slipstream. Have you heard much of the uh, action in the background there, Prof? At your just a, just a little bit. It's kind of ambient noise. Good. It's uh, it's, it's all um you know it's it's a little bit of the theatre. It, it shows that we're live uh, and that we're doing this without a net. Uh, we're, there was actually nothing going on, so you know I just got some of the other guys to go out and do just stuff. Sound so effects. it seemed like we're busy <laughs> in here, you know. <laughs> it's always the way. Just when yeah, we were at Mountain Goat a couple of weeks ago, and uh, just when we were getting into a nitty gritty bit uh, was when the you know they had to back the forklift and uh, and bring a truck in and and take away a pallet of beer. But it's all good. It's all real. Um, that's what we like to do, keeping it real here. Um, you can send in your uh, reviews. Let people know if you like the show. Let other people know how to find it. Thank you very much to our sponsors. And Matt, thank you very much to you again, mate, for uh, controlling the uh, the record button, which I sincerely hope you've pressed. I did press. Uh, yeah, an hour and 15 minutes later would be a little bit late to discover <laughs> that. Yeah, no worries. Oh, well, look, it would have been a good chat uh, just between the three of us, uh, if not. But thanks very much for uh, joining us, listeners, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Can Watto say in we're out this week? What do I got to say? Don't you listen? No. He, he obviously, <laughs> doesn't, obviously doesn't listen right at the end. Sorry. TLDL. Too long didn't listen. What do you do in the car when you're driving from the brewery back to Mount Tambourine each week? Go on, Watto. Give us a and we're out. And we're out. Nice pausing. Nice phrasing. Beautifully done. And now we're out.